Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Sam Shaheen, a senior editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we have another more technical conversation about Avalanche airbags. A few weeks ago, we had Doug Workman on the podcast to talk about the practical use aspects of airbags and how they affect our mountain recreation. It's a good conversation, and I encourage you to check it out if you haven't already. But this week, we're getting a little more in the weeds with airbag technology. I talked with Black Diamond's Director of Design Engineering, Pete Gompert, about their expansive airbag line for 1920 and each of the major airbag technologies on the market right now, and the surprising fact that Black Diamond is currently using all of them. So, let's get to it. Well, today, I am talking with Black Diamond's Pete Gompert. How are you doing today, Pete? I'm doing great. How are you? Excellent. It's a little rainy here in Colorado today, but it looks like it's going to be turning to snow real soon. So pretty psyched. Cool. Not done yet. <laughs> Man, not this winter. So to start off, can you give a little bit on your background and your history at Black Diamond? I started at BD almost 12 years ago now, I think. Um, before that, I, I worked in aerospace and automotive, fixing airplanes and working on airbags, actually. And um, got a chance to work at BD, um, was designing skis in my garage, and kind of one thing led to another. I finally talked him into a job and kind of been here ever since. So your your current role is the director of design engineering, correct? That's right. Yeah, I, um, I manage all of the mechanical engineers who are doing design work. So um, I think BD is in some like 30 30 something categories. So we're designing everything from cams and carabiners to skis and um, airbags and beacons. So we're definitely busy. I still do a lot of design work too. I'm, I'm the primary designer on all the airbags and beacons and also I design all the skis. So I'm never bored. That's an unbelievable amount of work. You said airbags, beacons, and the entire ski line. Yeah. And I manage all the engineers. So Holy crap, man. <laughs> Living the dream. It doesn't seem like work most days. Hey, there you go. There you go. So I don't know if you heard the podcast, but a few weeks ago we had Doug Workman on. He works with Mammut. He's their, he's their safety expert here in North America. And we had a really cool conversation about airbag technology and more specifically kind of how airbags have affected backcountry ski culture and changed the way that people recreate in the mountains. It was really interesting. But given your sort of technical background in airbags, I wanted to talk in this conversation more on the technical and design aspects of this technology that's been so disruptive in the industry. So I think wanted to start a little bit about BD is doing a really unique thing this for next fall winter in that you guys have three different technologies in your airbag line. And I think we'll dive a bit more in detail into each one of those a little bit later. But first, could you talk about why Black Diamond decided to work with fan, supercapacitor and canister based systems for the new line? Um, I think they all bring, we'll, we'll get into it more in detail later, I'm sure, but I think they all kind of bring their own advantages. And honestly, there's there's some trade-offs you make too, depending on which one you choose. And we kind of just felt like they each had a good place in the line and they could kind of address a different customer and a different use case. And, you know, the, the goal is to save as many people as we can. So we figured is if the technology is there, we might as well help bring it to market. Um, with the Alpride in particular, we just... I guess we're not too picky about where the technology comes from as long as it's good. And we, we recognize that they'd come up with some really good stuff and we felt that we could package it in a way that would be really relevant to, to backcountry consumers. So we decided to add those to our line too. And we can get into the details a little more as we go here. Another thing that's kind of interesting about 
about your fall winter line for next year is that you guys are using um, a bunch of zip on packs. So kind of the idea being, you know, you have an airbag system, you can zip on and off different packs. A lot of different manufacturers or a lot of other manufacturers are using more removable airbag systems to achieve a similar effect. Can you go a bit into why BD decided to go with zip on packs rather than a removable system? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think when you buy an airbag, especially like the jet force is just a pretty expensive investment. And um, kind of as we were designing jet force one over the years, you're always kind of keeping this list of things you do next time if you could. And one of them was, you know, when people buy that expensive of a pack, they were forced to kind of choose one, one size, right? So either you had to take your big overnighter pack to the resort, or you had to jam too much stuff in when you needed a bigger pack because you just can't afford to own three of the things. So what we realized is that people needed multiple ski packs, but the jet force system in particular is it's a pretty complicated system. And if we could put everything on kind of the chassis on the back panel and then allow people to zip on different um, cargo capacities, they can really kind of have that big expense once and then um, add on packs later as they needed them. Um, and the other thing that kind of drove us that direction rather than zip on an airbag unit is that the the standards these things have to pass are really stringent and um there's actually one where they apply three kilonewtons to the airbag and rip it off the back of the pack and um it just turns out it's much easier to make those connections lightweight and durable if they're all kind of sewn in rather than removable you know what i mean and so that's kind of what drove us to go that direction. And honestly, it's been super well received with the testers so far because they can just have one pack and zip on whatever they need for their mission and not have to worry about spending the money three times, which is great. Yeah. And I mean, from the, from the consumer side too, I imagine having spent personally a lot of time taking airbags in and out of backpacks in my life, I imagine the zip on process is a lot easier Oh yeah, for sure. For, for ours, it's, we call them booster packs, but the zipper that holds the booster on is actually the main cargo zipper too. So you basically just keep zipping it on around the, and zip the whole pack off. If you're really tech, you can leave a shovel and probe in, in all of your boosters and just zip the unit on for whatever you're going to do that day. So you can have a really quick change. Um, once you're good at it, it takes about 30 seconds or less to switch. Yeah. And that is not how long it takes to pull an airbag out of a out of a memo pack, for instance. <laughs> well, and the other thing we, we came up with is we really didn't want customers to have to worry about if they did it right. You know, if, if you're relying on this thing to save your life, you don't want to have any question in your mind about whether you fasten that fastener right or whatever. We just wanted people to know that the airbag system was almost separate from the cargo system so that they didn't have to worry about the airbag. That's another reason why on JetForce, um, we designed it so that you don't have to fold the airbag at all. Um, there's no special folding technique or anything like that. You just stuff it in um, because we didn't want people to have to worry about that. It's how you pack your parachute shouldn't matter. Um, that was kind of our design philosophy for JetForce. Yeah, and I mean, when it comes to safety equipment, I think the simpler it can be made, the better in almost, in almost all situations. Yeah, for sure. So for your supercapacitor and canister airbags, I think we already, you already touched on this. Um, you guys are working with Alpride. Can you guys explain why you chose to go Alpride and the differences between designing a system in-house like you did with the JetForce and contracting with another company like you guys are doing with Alpride? Sure. I mean, JetForce was probably the biggest project that BD has ever taken on. Um, going from 
electronics peeps did most of that work for us um, and batteries and fans and all the hard parts we had to tool up um, it's just a really big project and we saw the Alpride stuff out there and the capacitors are, are pretty intriguing in terms of their capabilities of storing energy um, I don't know if your listeners are super familiar with how all that works but we could get into batteries and capacitors a bit if you want but um, basically a, a, a battery is is like a big reservoir of power and what really limits you on a battery is how fast you can suck that power out of them all these packs have to pass a standard of they have to go off soaking wet at minus 30 c and so that's that's a pretty harsh condition for a battery and that's one of the reasons the jet force battery is so big a lot of people think we just overdid it and had too many deployments but really what the reason we had to have eight cells in that big battery is so that we could pull enough current out at minus 30 um, to go off twice, which was the goal. And so that's why the jet force has such a big battery with a capacitor. Um, they're not affected by temperature at all. You can, you can pull that power out the same speed at minus 30 as you can at 50 C. So that's really intriguing. Um, the problem with the capacitor is it won't store energy long term. So um, you, you can pump them full, but they'll only store the energy for a couple days, max, probably less. But after you have it in there, you can pull that power out as fast as you want. So even at minus 30, we Alpride can pull, I think, over 80 amps out of those capacitors to inflate their fans. So, Whoa. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, the Jet Force pulls almost 30 out of the battery. Wow. But yeah, both of those systems, I know JetForce is running at about 85,000 RPM max. So it's it's really humming. And the Alpride is very close to that too. Um, so anyway, we, we were looking at what was out there and the capacitors were super intriguing. Um, Alpride has some really good intellectual property on that too. And so we kind of just made the decision that the JetForce has more features and it's probably a better pack for most people. If you're looking for like the full meal deal where you want multiple deployments and deflation and refill cycles and booster packs and all that. It's kind of like the every, every feature you want is on JetForce Pro. Alpride, on the other hand, is a little bit lighter and a little bit cheaper, but still electronic, which means it still has the benefits of being able to travel with it and all that. So we just thought it was a good system and we felt like we're pretty good at making backpacks. So we decided to build a backpack around their system and it's actually been a really good partnership so far. It's interesting because having two electronic airbags seems pretty redundant, but once you start parsing out the features of the two, it kind of becomes obvious quick which one the customer is going to gravitate to depending on what features they want. Yeah, so I think because these airbag systems are so complicated and you are running three different technologies at Black Diamond, maybe we should talk about each one individually. Uh, so let's start with Jet Force. Can you talk a bit about I guess, general pros and cons of a battery fan-based system like JetForce? Yeah, sure. Um, so the JetForce Pro is, as you guys probably know, it's our second iteration of JetForce. And um, we kind of incorporated everything we learned in the first generation into this one. So it's it's got a ton of features. And that was kind of our goal, is to make this everything you could possibly want in an airbag. Um, it's got a bigger balloon on it, so it works a little better for inverse segregation reasons. It's rechargeable, so... I mean, there's zero cost to practicing with this thing. And that's one of the things you learn with avalanche incidents is that a lot of people just haven't ever deployed their airbag or they haven't practiced with it. And so one of the huge advantages of JetForce is that you can practice with it and make sure you know where that handle is and 
how it works and what to expect. Um, GeForce also has self-diagnosis. So the electronics in this thing are super complicated. And thankfully, um, our parent company also owns Peeps. So they have all these super, super smart electrical engineers that work for them. And they they um, did all the electronics design, but it'll tell you if something's wrong. And that's something that you can't get out of a lot of canister-based systems. You don't know if you're canisters of leak or if your trigger isn't assembled right but with jet force it gives you a green light and lets you know you're good to go um like i said it has multiple deployments at room temperature we usually get over more than five deployments out of a battery charge um, and we guarantee at least one usually two at minus 30 c so that's huge and then um just like jet force one it, it has all the puncture recovery stuff too so if you were to get raked through the trees and have some small holes in your bag or something the jet force, because it's a battery and we can keep that fan running, um, it'll reinflate best it can um, for three minutes. And then it's the only one on the market that has uh, deflation, which is pretty cool. Um, so after three minutes, because we're required to stay inflated for three minutes by the standard, but after three minutes, it actually sucks all the air out of the bag. Um, and we've actually buried people <laughs> to try this and it it works. It makes a little cave um, if the conditions are right. and there was actually a recent study the University of Utah did showing that it works pretty well, too, that sucking the air out of that bag will give you a little air pocket. And then the other thing about JetForce is it's Bluetooth compatible now, too. So if you ever need a software update or anything like that, it's the same app you'd use for your Peeps Beacon. So you can just log in on your phone. Um, there's a few settings you can change in there and also um, update the software if you need to. So that's kind of JetForce in a nutshell. I guess the other thing about it is we just pulled weight out of it everywhere we could. I think we're just under 3 kg now, depending on what booster you have on there, um, which is quite a bit lighter than JetForce 1. So we're getting down to the, the point where it's it's competitive in terms of weight as well. So we're pretty psyched on JetForce. You know, the fan fan based battery systems like JetForce are like, like you said, they're very complicated things. What, what sort of, what sort of design parameters or, or what are some of the more challenging things um, from an engineering perspective, go into that design process when you're working with batteries in the cold and, you know, robust safety systems. Yeah, I, I don't even know where to start on that one, but I'd, I'd say the battery was probably the hardest thing. Um, you, you definitely hear that if you ask the peeps guys, but um, just making anything with a battery work in those temperatures reliably is, is pretty tough. We actually use a special chemistry in those battery cells that's designed for the cold, um, and that that makes it work really well. Um, other than that, I mean, we've got we've got a fan spinning at about uh, eighty thousand RPM, which is always exciting. Um, so we had to design all those parts, and then just deployment with a fan, you're always going to have a little bit less pressure um, because with a canister system, you've got I don't know over. A, thousand psi or something huge like that but with a fan you usually get between one and three psi so you have to kind of make things work with the fan to make sure it deploys um, and then just the the airbag standard is gnarly um, trying to pass the the tuv testing that we have to do to get this thing certified is really hard like i said there's one test in particular where you have to dump i think it's two gallons of water on the pack and then freeze it at minus 30 for six hours and it still has to go off i don't know how many sleepless nights we spent trying to figure that one out but um it works so we're psyched but that and then just along the way we kind of designed some pretty cool stuff like the deflation features that that kind of happened organically one day we're like well we have a fan 
we could probably run it backwards. So we figured out how to make it open its own valve and suck all the air out. And we were pretty psyched on that too. But it's been, it's been a long process to, to get this thing going and we're, we're pretty psyched with where it turned out. We've talked a little bit about the, about the TUV testing standards. Can you talk to some of the more notable tests that the airbag standard tests for? Sure. So there's the one where you have to freeze it in the cold. Um, there's a test where you have to rip the, like I said, you rip the balloon off the backpack. And I think that's a three KN standard. Um, there's multiple like in field tests where you have to bury the airbag, um, a certain depth and it has to go off under the snow. Um, that was actually added for electronic systems to make sure that they can pull enough air out of the snowpack to inflate the airbag. Um, there's some where you have to inflate it laying on your side and on your back and the other side and upside down, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, just real practical tests too. Um, and then there's a ton of just like materials testing and, and things like that that we have to do to make sure that they're not going to give anybody a rash. It, it's really complicated, but um, all the airbags on the market have to pass that standard now if they're going to be sold in Europe. And I think everything that's out there is certified to TUV standards. So as far as JetForce goes, where do you see the biggest future design improvements? Is that a battery, reliability, a weight sort of thing? Or what are you guys focusing on? Yeah, I mean, still the biggest weight in the JetForce is probably the battery. But as you know, there's a lot of car companies and stuff working on battery tech right now. So I, I strongly suspect we're going to be able to shrink that battery in the future. Um, that would probably be our number one goal with the jet force. Um, the other thing that could be really intriguing is to somehow combine the two systems and do a battery capacitor hybrid. Um, but there's a lot of IP and stuff involved in that. So we'd have to figure that out, but there's a lot of, a lot of cool stuff we can do. And then one of the huge benefits of being a BD is we have us hard good and hard goods engineers working right next to soft goods guys. So we've got some of the best pack people in the world too. So we're always looking at different fabrics and different stuff to make it lighter. But I think driving the weight down is probably the main goal on JetForce going forward. And honestly, JetForce Pro is a huge advantage over JetForce One. And I think um, it's only going to get better from here. So ballpark, how much lighter is JetForce Pro than JetForce One? I think JetForce Pro is about 2950 grams and i believe jet force one was over 3500 so um we've lost a solid pound which is pretty good yeah yeah uh let's talk the alpride e1 so i kind of am a little bit of a of a tech nerd so i have to say that super capacitors really excite me right now in skiing as 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 the, as they can be a skiing technology which is pretty wild i know we touched on it a little bit differently from the practical aspects but sort of on the technical side, can you explain sort of what a supercapacitor is, how it's how it's built, and how that's different from you know a traditional battery that we're all rather familiar with? For sure, like I said, a capacitor is just like a temporary storage device for power. So it'll hold power, it'll hold a lot of power, but it won't hold it for very long. Um, so basically, it's like a big temporary holding tank with a big old valve on the bottom that you can just dump it all at once. So the way the Alpride system works is there's two AA batteries. And it, it kind of blows my mind, but there's enough energy in those two AA batteries to blow up an airbag, but you just can't get it all out at once. So what happens is you put those two AA batteries in and they slowly trickle charge those capacitors over about a half hour or so. And they can basically give all their energy to those big capacitors and then you're ready to go. And those capacitors will hold all the energy for the whole ski day. So once it's charged, it's good to go. And then when you pull the cord, 
it's got enough juice in those capacitors to just dump it all at mega amperage um, into that turbine fan. It'll run it for about five seconds and that's it. Then the power is gone. So it's pretty sweet because it's so light. You're, you're really just taking all the energy out of those two little batteries and making it so you can use it all right now. And so that's, that's kind of the gist of how the capacitors work. The difference between the Alpride fan and the JetForce Pro fan is also pretty interesting because JetForce actually uses a linear, a linear fan, just like a standard propeller looks like. Um, and so for JetForce, the, the main advantage to that, we get a little bit lower pressure, but we can run it backwards to deflate. Um, Alpride uses a radial fan that looks more like a turbocharger in a car. So it can actually generate a little bit more pressure. It goes to, I think, about two or three PSI, where JetForce is about one and a half. Um, both are good enough to blow up the airbag. Both have valves on them, so they work, but Alpride will generate a little bit more power. Kind of the downside to the to the capacitor system is you get, it's kind of, it's one and done, right? So once you've blown all the power in those capacitors, you either have to put new double A's in and wait for it to recharge for about a half an hour, which is not a big deal, but um, it does mean you have to have some way of charging that thing back up. And because you've blown all your power, you can't have the refill cycles and you can't have the deflation that the jet force has. So is, is there a way to charge the U1 system without the batteries, like like to plug it into at home, for instance? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you can yep. either use the batteries or you can plug it into a USB at home. Um, and it does the same thing. It just trickle charges those capacitors. So typically the way that you would use it is you charge it up at your house and then put two fresh batteries in there. And so um, if you did need to pull it in the field, you would have that would dump all the power from the USB and then um those two batteries would charge it back up in about a half hour and you'd be good for a second deployment. Great. So, and so charge it, charge it at home with two fresh double A's. That's essentially two deployments in the field. If you don't deploy it, those, those double A's don't pull any power. You can just use those same, same batteries until you need to, until you need to use them. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's got a pretty simple system on it too, where you can look through the side of the pack and it's got um, red, green lights on there. So, it tells you when it's charged and ready to go, but you don't get the immediate pull it again kind of thing. So that's just one of the trade-offs, but that system is about, I think two or 300 grams lighter than JetForce Pro. So there's benefits there too. Yeah. One of our, one of our other editors actually reviewed that, um, an, an E1, a pack with an E with the Alpright E1 system. And he, uh, he really liked it, but definitely, definitely, you know, all these, all these airbags are a little bit complicated. So best to, get it real explicit with, with, with how exactly they work. Yeah, for sure. We've been using the one a lot around here too, and people are psyched on it. it I mean, most days you're not going to need multiple deployments, hopefully. Um, hopefully. <laughs> so um, it works pretty well, but for like a ski patrol or something like that, you may want the jet force may be a better option, but I think for most users, just touring the Alpride's a great solution. Um, and it's totally airplane safe too both jet force and the e1 system um are airplane safe you can travel with them no problem i've carried them as my carry-on nobody cares so that's awesome yeah which is a huge benefit over the canister systems because man being hassled at airports is such a pain oh, yeah. and then then like i i had a i had a canister confiscated when i was in japan one time and luckily it was on the way back and i didn't need it but um it's like, man, if I was going to Japan, it could have been really challenging to find that to find that specific canister for that specific system I was using, and um, that's just a huge headache. Yeah, nobody wants to deal with that when you're on vacation. <laughs> find a place with 
fill your canisters. So when it when it comes to you know Jet Force and the E one, they're both kind of similar fan base systems. But I imagine that the just the geometry of the systems and the way that they that that they fit in have a have an influence on pack design. Are there anything? Are there any sort of pack design things you're able to do with Jet Force that you aren't able to do with E one and vice versa? Uh, yeah, I mean for Jet Force, I'm obviously way more familiar with that because we designed it. But for Jet Force, the second time around for the Pro, we really focused on the packaging of the pack. Um, one of our main design goals was to make this a really good ski pack first. Um, and so if you look at the pack, it's got the fan unit is now, it used to be vertical and pretty big on the side. Now it's tucked down at the bottom, kind of behind the waist belt. Um, and so is the battery. So it carries really well and all the electronics and stuff are way down low um, where you don't really even notice them. So that, and then just the the ability to put the booster packs on the jet force um, really makes it a versatile solution. Um, but the Alpride is also really good. Um, it's pretty similar to the other Alpride packs on the market, except that we had our pack team just really go after it to use the best materials they could find and make the best pack they could. Um, it only comes in one size, so that's that's what you get. But uh, it's been a really good pack, and it actually skis and carries really well too. Um, it's just kind of you have to look at the insides of the pack and buy it based on how you're going to use it and make sure that. I think if I could give one piece of advice to people picking between these three is pick the one that's the best ski pack for you because there's just, I mean, that's how you're going to use it most is as a ski pack. Right. And so get to see what fits where. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's curious because, you know, as someone who tests gear a lot and tests backpacks all the time, I'm constantly switching between backpacks. And um, one of the things that I've really come to, to, to notice is that, you know, it takes some time when switching from one pack to another to figure out a new way of packing, but that the more and more packs that I've used and the more often I've had to create new packing schemes or new new ways of thinking about the gear that I'm carrying, the better and better my packing has become. So right. I think the idea of like, oh, this is the way that I used to pack my old pack, therefore I need a pack that's going to pack that same way. I wouldn't necessarily like preach that personally because I've learned a lot from having to pack other packs. But there are there are still some certain things in a pack that like if it has if it doesn't have X, Y or Z feature, I'm going to be real frustrated, like a helmet carry, for instance, like that's something I know that I need because I'm always I'm almost always carrying a helmet in the backcountry, you know. Yeah, and all of ours have helmet carry and all that stuff. But I I totally agree with you. And it's super personal, too, because everybody has a different kit. And I don't know, every, every winter I spend a couple of days trying to figure out is this really the best spot for my shovel handle and all that? And every time you switch packs, it's, it's different. So I totally agree. One other feature I, I probably should have mentioned about all these things is we made it on the jet force and both Alpride packs. So you can switch, switch sides for the deployment handle, um, which is pretty rad for some people, whether you're left or right-handed. Um, snowmobilers have been really psyched on that too, because they can keep their hand on the throttle now. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is definitely a valuable, valuable feature. But let's talk a little bit about canister systems. Um, so these have been around, obviously, the longest. And uh, you guys are using the Alpride canister system. And I personally use that system in uh, the Scott Backcountry Guide Pack and really, really liked it, actually. Um, it's simple. The refills are easy. But um, with all the tech and all the cool cutting-edge stuff you guys are doing with Jet Force and with E1, 
I guess, why are you still using this sort of comparatively basic technology in, in, in the canister system? I think we started looking at what we actually use because, I don't know, BD's like home of the Dawn Patrol, right? And we noticed that a lot of our guys weren't actually taking airbags with them, which is kind of crazy because we make airbags. And one of the reasons was just they're still kind of heavy, right? And so we just wanted to make the lightest one we could possibly make. And we, we started to design it ourselves, actually. And what we came to was that Alpride's system was just totally rad. And we didn't think we could really do a whole lot better than what they'd already done um, in terms of making the lightest possible airbag out there. Um, so that was really the goal on that project was to take the Alpride system, which we felt was pretty much optimized in terms of what you could do with a canister system um, and put it in the lightest possible pack they could, they could make. So the pack team went nuts on that one. And I think they got the whole system under two kilograms, which if you're counting grams, that's a really light airbag pack. So that was kind of the goal there. And then also we can hit a way lower price point um, on the canister stuff. Um, that's just kind of the, the hard reality of things is that the canister system is just simpler um, there are drawbacks, of course, you only get one deployment. Every time you pull a cord, it's going to, you're going to have to buy new canisters, all that stuff. But we really think there is a place for that, um, in the people who, who need to carry an airbag, but don't want to carry the extra weight or maybe can't afford all the bells and whistles of the jet force. Um, but mostly it was a weight play because there are a lot of people counting grams these days and we want them to carry airbags. <laughs> Sure. I still have backhand ski partners who are hesitant to get airbags based on the weight, which I find pretty funny when they're lugging up, you know, shifts or kingpins and heavy, heavy yeah. skis, but to each their own. <laughs> For sure. I, I think it's definitely worth the weight, but I don't know. People like to camp grams and that, that's just what it comes down to. Even if, even if a pack carries really well, people are still going to look at the grams and it's that guy that's got the, the helio bindings and the super light helio skis and all that. We want him to carry an airbag too, because we want to keep him safe. And so, um, I think that that pack really fits that niche really well. And I think people are going to be really psyched on the pack itself too. Cause once again, it's just a really good ski pack. Yeah. And so, um, for all the other, uh, engineers out there, if you will, um, I think the way canister-based systems work is really interesting from just a technical perspective. Can you kind of talk through the, the the process by which, you know, the airbag fills in a canister-based system? Sure. Um, so basically, a canister-based system is going to have a can of gas that's super high pressure, but there's actually not enough gas in that cylinder, or in Alpright's case, both cylinders, um, to fill the airbag because the airbags are huge. They're 150 liters or something like that. So... Um, the way they work, it's kind of like a carburetor on a motorcycle or something, but basically it shoots that high pressure gas past a venturi and that venturi, because the, the high pressure gas is flowing so fast past it, um, it will actually suck in atmospheric air with the, with the high pressure gas. So, um, a huge per percentage of the get the air and the gas that's in an airbag is, is from the atmosphere still. It's not all from that canister. Um, and then what's really cool about the Alpride system, and another reason that we, we kind of chose that one, is that it uses argon and CO2. Um, CO2 is actually liquid under pressure, and it takes a minute to um, turn back to gas once you re reduce the pressure, especially true at really cold temperatures. So what the argon does, because it doesn't turn, it doesn't turn to, to liquid under pressure, um, even in the cold. So that argon is always ready to go. So it kind of gets the deployment started faster. Um, which is pretty cool too, while the CO2 turns back to gas in the cold. 
So yeah, it's basically just a venturi system. Um, you're still pulling in atmospheric air. And so once again, like those burial tests where you have to pull air from the snowpack are still important for a canister system as well, because there's not enough gas in the can. Why is the argon CO2 combo better than just like a compressed, compressed air, which a lot of other companies use? Um, it's just that they can use smaller cans. Mostly they can really pressurize that argon. And, um, and like I said, it doesn't have any tendency to slow it down in the cold. So it was a pretty smart move to use those two systems. And then also because they use those little sealed containers, they're, they're actually approved to fly with most um, airlines because they're the same basic geometry, I guess, as the uh, life vests that go under the seat. Um, so you can actually fly with those canisters most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Actually, an Alpride canister was what got confiscated in Japan. Was it? Yeah. It, it wasn't because it was not allowed on the plane. It was because I was carrying two of them and I was only allowed to have one of them. So I guess I'm, I'm complaining a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> well, and what you got, it's all the different countries and even different airlines have different rules. So if you are going to try and fly with those things, you got to really research it good before you go. Yeah. And even then you may run into a TSA agent who's just not having it, which is why the electronic ones are probably better for travel. <laughs> yeah. So for the past few years, I've been using a lot of airbags, but I've been using several of the protection style airbags from Memmut. And for those listening who don't know kind of what that is, basically it's a, it's an airbag, but a lot of the airbag is actually stored in the shoulder straps of the pack so that when you pull it, it kind of, it doesn't really envelop your head, but it surrounds your head and neck. And the idea is that it reduces um, or it reduces the likelihood of a mechanical injury to your head or neck. I guess from, from, from your perspective, Pete, how, um, how, how does Black Diamond think about mechanical trauma and the airbag's role in that? And are there any plans to release a protection style system from Black Diamond? Um, you know, we've been brainstorming on that a lot. Um, they actually had a pretty strong patent on that wrapping around the shoulders stuff. Um, and, and another reason we kind of shied away from it, to be honest, in our first iteration of Jet Force and really haven't changed our opinion is that a lot of airbag accidents, people do actually ski out of them. Um, as soon as you pull one of those, you're blind side to side and, and it's, it's hard to see. Um, so we kind of thought that giving some people, some peripheral vision was still important when the airbags deployed and, and honestly having that thing above and behind your head still provides a ton of mechanical, um, protection because you're basically padded on all sides except the very front. And so that's kind of the goal. And then always the goal on an airbag, the reason they come up high above and behind your head is to make sure that you're the biggest particle and your head is near the center of that biggest particle. Um, so basically the idea is that you would float to the top and be facing up when in an avalanche, which is kind of what we've seen in all the, in all of the, uh, field testing we've done so far. Yeah, I mean, it's that, that's an interesting point about the peripheral vision. I've luckily never had to pull one of those protection style airbags in an actual avalanche, but I can imagine that being quite challenging um, to see because having pulled them sitting in my room at home, they really do surround your head. You, you're not seeing much at all. Yeah, you're, you're done skiing at that point, and we didn't like that. We also sell through Peeps. Um, we do Jet Force through Peeps as well, and we sell a lot of those to snowmobilers, and those guys really have a good chance of getting off the slab if they gun it, and we wanted them to be able to see too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess on the bright side, if you can't see to the sides, you're kind of forced to straight line, you know? 
<laughs> Hopefully you're already pointed in the right direction, huh? Hopefully. <laughs> All right. So uh, last question, the million dollar question, if you will. For your for your money, which of the 1920 BD systems um, would you buy? Well, I'm pretty biased because I designed it, but <laughs> I really <laughs> like Jetwork Pro. Um, I just think it gives you so many different options. So I think for my everyday pack, especially if I'm skiing at the resort, um, I'm probably going to go for the pro. Uh, I have actually used it a ton with that smallest booster and it's, it's a, like three inches thick. It's awesome. You hardly even notice it back there. So, um, definitely for the resort, I'm going with the pro. If it's for, um, quick, quick early morning dawn patrols, I'd probably go with the UL to be honest. Um, just because it's light and I, want to go fast and get to work on time. The, the UL is the canister system. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's my personal preference. Um, we do have a lot of people using the, the super capacitor stuff too, and they love it. So I really don't think you can go wrong. Maybe, maybe too many options. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, well, yeah, thanks Pete. That was awesome. I, uh, I, I know I, I had a great time talking to you and I learned a lot. Thanks for taking the time and, uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Awesome, man. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And if you're enjoying these episodes, we'd very much appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or some feedback in iTunes and also spread the word to your gearhead friends. Thanks, everybody. Be safe out there and we'll talk to you next week.